Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we are reviewing the new movie by Alex Garland called Ex Machina. Which is the first movie in a while since her and The Immortalist that we felt was worth reviewing. Uh, we considered reviewing a couple other movies, including Chappie and uh, Interstellar. Yeah, I, wa- I watched Chappie. Yeah, we watched both of those and we didn't really think that they merited being reviewed in this way because uh, we didn't like them that much, really. Yeah, well, and Interstellar got talked about a lot, so what was interesting about it, I think, got covered pretty quickly. Chappie just wasn't a serious enough movie, I think, to warrant the kind of um, speculative spanking uh, that we like to do here. So, I mean, obviously, they just made that movie to make a robot do gangster poses, and they they succeeded in their goal. It's like, there's nothing else to say. And there's a couple laughs in that. But yeah, this is a much uh, better movie from our perspective, uh, and it's probably the best movie about AI since her. So, you know, I would recommend it. I guess if we're going to just start off the bat with like whether or not we liked it, we would say go see it if you haven't. I think it's worth your your time and uh, money. It's got a real serious take on the uh, question of uh, AI robotics. That said, we are going to nitpick as we usually do. Just a quick note before we begin. In order to review this movie, we have to talk about the plot, so we are going to get into details of that, but we're going to save the real spoilery stuff about the actual ending uh, for after the 20-minute mark, and we're going to give you a lot of notice when we're about to switch into that part of the episode. So you should be able to listen to the first half of this without hearing anything too sensitive. First, let's start with some of the things that it does right, because in some ways, these AI robot movies do seem to be getting better on average. It's been a while since I've seen the old trope that used to annoy me, and I think you, Ted, so much of just like the robot uh, missing some sort of magic human sauce, some kind of like thing that the robot can't emulate about humans because it's just unattainable, you know, whether it's humor or love or... Creativity. Creativity is another one. A lot of old sci-fi draws like an arbitrary line and says, you know, the robot can't do this. And that seems to be going away. It seems like everybody's kind of signing on to this idea that there's no necessary limit to what artificial intelligence could do in the future in terms of mimicking human capability. Yeah, that idea seems to have finally hit the sci-fi mainstream, which is a positive development. So that's something this movie does right. Another thing I liked about it is that it does imply some interesting ethical questions about how we should treat these artificial beings that we create. Yeah, I would say it does more than imply them. It's the subject of a lot of the, the, the dialogue Fair in enough. the movie. It's, it's, no, it's a pretty big topic. Yeah, it addresses it actually pretty head on. Yeah, like it, it, stylistically, this movie is kind of in that classic sci-fi vein of being very much like a a story about ideas and the the main characters, right? We haven't really said anything about the story yet. Sure, let's get the it main over characters here. are a man who works at a big software company it's called Blue Book. Uh, called Blue Book, which is uh, sort of a Facebooky, Googley kind of thing. It's, More of a Google because I, I think they, they call mentioned... it a search engine, right? Yeah. But it seems like it's maybe a theoretical Google Facebook hybrid, perhaps. Sure, it's Donald Gleason who plays this software engineer, and he gets called to the mysterious mansion of the company's owner, which is played by Oscar Isaacs, which if you saw Inside Lewin Davis, he's the actor from that movie. He's really great. And uh, he's this bombastic CEO, genius, uh, mad inventor type character. Whereas Donald Gleason is just an employee at his company, some programmer. He's a programmer. He's like a pretty smart programmer. He won a contest. He won a contest, right. 
that part is glossed over so quickly. It's not even important, kind of. He's just he's chosen. And then um, the third character is a robot called Ava, which has the face of a human female, and it has the body of a weird glowing you know, CGI robot. So that's the setup of the movie, and then the whole thing pretty much takes place in this mansion that the CEO lives in, uh, which is how they contained the budget. This is obviously a small movie. It was produced uh, by Film 4 in England, so it's not you know a big-budget Hollywood movie. It's working on you know limited resources, and you can sort of see that in the film. And uh, the setup is that the CEO brings this guy to the mansion in order to test his robot. He even calls what he's doing a sort of variation on the Turing test, uh, though he admits in the movie that they're doing it a little different from how Turing... Right, and Imagine. this is already, I mean, we might as well just jump into it right here because this is where I have some issues with the movie. Right, um, right. I mean, they, This is the first thing that's going to make you cringe if you are a sci-fi person. And if you saw the trailer, you already cringed at this because they, they reveal this in the trailer. We haven't really given away much at this point. They call this a Turing test. I don't know why they even bother other than maybe they did some research and they thought Turing test was fun to say. Uh, because <laughs> it has nothing at all to do with the Turing test. Now, I, I can think of some character motivations for why it might be represented by some of the characters as a, as a Turing test. Um, and maybe that's the explanation, but it really, what they're doing is uh, the head of this blue book company is having his programmer basically do a series of interviews with his robot, uh, ostensibly right. to judge something about it. And basically just if it's good enough, if it's indistinguishable right. from a real person. And of course, the Turing test, I mean, I'm sure our audience knows, is there's three people in, involved. There's a robot, a human, and a judge. Yes. And they're all in separate rooms, and they only communicate via text. Yes. And the judge has to determine who of the other two players in this game is the robot and who is the human. And they have to judge this by only asking questions and receiving answers via text. Right. Now, you could update this to voice or even to in-person. I think you could easily update it to video and audio. Sure. Right? Which is cinematic. If you're going to make a movie about a Turing test, I think you would probably update the text part. And to be fair to the movie, the programmer character, uh, played by Donald Gleason, uh, does voice part of this concern, right? He does yes. at one point He, he brings say, it up. Yeah, he says like, well, you know, if this is a proper Turing test, I should be separate from the robot that I'm examining. And, and although he doesn't mention the fact that there should be another No, that player part in the is game. overlooked. And that's really, I think, the more important part, the fact that there's two participants. There's a judge, and then there are two participants, and the judge has to determine which of the two is human. Just talking to a person or a chatbot or whatever, you're not, you don't have anything to compare it to. It doesn't seem like it really means anything. Uh, right, and the robots in this movie, once they wear clothes, are very convincing. So you could very easily set up two rooms, one with one of these very convincing robots wearing clothes mm -hmm. and one with a real human. Yeah. And you could try to have somebody guess, even sitting there in person with them, talking to them, uh, you could have that person try to judge the difference. Of course, that would be a completely different movie, which is why I'd, I just don't understand why they use Turing test at all. I mean, they could have just said, evaluate. Yeah, it's basically uh, beta testing the robot. And actually, it does kind of make sense what they're doing if you take away their explanation for it. So this is why it didn't bother me too much in the movie. I was like, kind of like, okay, well, it's not really a Turing test while I was watching. But it makes sense that if you had made a robot, you would want to test it. 
And one way you might want to test it, uh, perhaps, it doesn't necessarily seem like the best way, but it's a way that I could imagine you'd want to test it is by having a random person who you've selected via context talk to it and see, you know, what he thinks. Which also, for that to completely make sense, you have to realize that this head of this search company, Blue Book, is uh, apparently, it would seem, a complete recluse or at least very paranoid. Yes. His mansion, as it were, is out in the middle of nowhere. You have to take a helicopter to get there. Yeah. Uh, there's an elaborate key card system that controls every door and access to everywhere inside the facility. And there appears to be literally no one else there. So I guess if you're this guy and you're sitting all by yourself alone, like a hermit, uh, hanging out with nothing but your robots maybe you want to call on somebody for some outside perspective. Now, that's a lot of conditional setups that have to go into that Right, like why doesn't he just have some other people working with him on the robots? Because probably robots, like humanoid robots that look like real people, uh, like uh, Ava is, they probably take an engineering team to make. (laughs) They don't seem like the kind of thing that a lone inventor makes in his basement, even if he's very rich. That seems unrealistic. Now, a software AI... I could maybe buy. You right. made it in your garage. Like a Ben Gertzel type in his basement. A ben Gertzel could be like in a primer, an AI primer. Like I would watch that. That sounds good. <laughs> Somebody. But like, yeah, you could make a software uh, <laughs> like virtually embodied AI by yourself. Maybe. I mean, that's still, I mean, obviously that's an incredibly difficult task. And to do that in isolation, I think even in software is a stretch, but definitely to manufacture all but this But it doesn't hardware. sound impossible. Sure. The way that like the many different expertises that would have to go into all the different innovations you'd need to make a humanoid robot body that uh, that looks, you know, like a human um, while being made of apparently like glowing materials and metal and plastic, you know? I mean, it seemed unrealistic to me that he would be doing that on his own. But anyhow, that's how the movie presents it. Well, I, there's one part in the movie that maybe provides an answer if you want to uh, steel man the movie and, and give it the best possible reading right, in this that? light which is that uh, he makes reference to technicians that worked on his security system. And then he sort of like casually makes reference to, oh, I had them killed or something. Yes. Uh, which it's not clear whether it's a joke or not. Yes. So, I mean, if this if the implication is this guy, this super paranoid, maybe he had some people help him and then he dismissed them or like, you know, he might have had help along the way. And yes, now he has- does seem like that kind of paranoid person who might have might have systematically killed all of the uh, <laughs> engineers who built like subsequent parts of his machine or something. But yeah, that's I guess that's just an implication. Anyway, that's how the movie gives it to you. Uh, he's this lone inventor. He's created this thing all on his own. And he's asked this guy to come in and just sort of tell him what he thinks. And they have some conversations about what they're doing. And there's some opportunity for some philosophical discussion, which is completely cut short in the movie uh, and justified due to the one character, the, the CEO or the, the head of Blue Book, sort of dismissing the conversation and saying he doesn't want to have it. You know, he'd rather drink a beer and be buddies or something. There's some reason given for why they don't really get into it. Um, And so that's that's one method to dodge it. But even the, they do have a little bit of philosophical conversation about what they're doing and what it means for a machine to think. At one point, they do have a discussion about the nature of the test, right? And the main character played by Donald Gleason asks, how am I supposed to get inside her head? How am I supposed to figure out if she's actually thinking? And the guy says, you know, relax, man. Like, don't worry about that, right? And I found that conversation frustrating because, first of all, the original Turing test, right, dodges the whole issue of does a machine think 
by simply defining it externally. I mean, that's the whole goal of the Turing test. Right. Like the Turing paper starts with him asking, is it possible to make a machine think? And then he immediately admits that's such a hard thing to answer because people have different definitions of what it means to think. So instead, let's invent this external test where the machine competes with a human at this imitation game. Let's look at external measurable factors, right? That right. we all can agree on. Can it fool a judge? Let's not delve into like what the definition of thinking is. And in fact, when people challenge Turing on the issue of like, you know, can a machine be conscious or only a human can be conscious? He said, well, you don't know if other human beings are conscious. Like you can't prove that. Right. So. Right. Uh, people who are solipsists don't believe that. Right. So, you know, there is an answer to this question and Ray Kurzweil gives it in his writing, right? Which is that, you know, if the machine acts human and behaves as if it's conscious, convinces you that it's conscious in the same way that your best friend convinces you that he's conscious or she's conscious, then that's good enough. And that may be as good as we're ever going to do. Now, I mean, there's research into what consciousness is and, you know, maybe some of those mysteries will be unraveled as we study the human brain. But the movie didn't even address that simple answer to the question. Like, I just wanted the CEO to be like, it doesn't matter whether she's like really thinking or really <laughs> conscious. Right. Just see if she feels like a human. Like, I feel like... Right. And it's not like you have to jump deep into the weeds to just have somebody say, well, that's not important. You know? Right. Specifically, it's not important in a Turing test, yeah. which is what the movie's... Supposedly is. Uh, keeps calling itself. Yeah. So, but you know, that's fine. And they, they did come up with a story reason to dodge the conversation. And of course, it's not a movie about two people talking philosophy. It's more no, of it's a, a thriller. thriller. Yeah. yeah. So quickly, it turns sort of dark. You get the sense that maybe the CEO isn't all that he claims to be. He's uh, maybe got darker motives. Right. And, and it happens, you know, fairly early in the movie that you start getting those suspicions. Yeah. So I don't think that's spoiling anything to say that. And I think that's what the movie's going for is sort of a claustrophobic, uh, you don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah, you're locked in this house with these weird key cards and, you know, there's a crazy inventor and there's his crazy invention and you kind of don't know which, if either of those things you should trust. So it's a pretty good setup for a thriller. And um, it's one thing it does well is it avoids being just like blanket anti-technology. Nobody in the movie represents the point of view that we should just go back to nature or anything like that. That's a cliche that it seems to avoid. Well, and in fact, the CEO represents the point of view that this development of strong AI is inevitable. Somebody was going to do it, so right. he might as well, which I think is... You know, that's certainly a justification I s expect to see in the real world. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I accept that as a justification for doing this cavalierly or unsafely or unilaterally necessarily. Like, I, don't, I wouldn't let the character off the hook morally, but I think that that shows an understanding from the filmmakers that, you know, we're on this journey, we should consider the implications of it. And, and I do think the movie presents a, a realistic danger scenario without, like you said, giving a blanket condemnation of all technology. Right. Uh, or or fear-mongering too much about technology. Um, so I think that is definitely in the movie's favor. But I want to go back to something from earlier, which is that you see the outside world almost hardly at all. Um, it's almost all just these three actors in this one weird mansion. Right. And it's like they're rich guy's house. So the technology in the house is not necessarily representative of the world. You barely see the world at all. You see a little tiny slice of the company. Right, all of which allows them to dodge the greater issue of what's going on in the world at large to allow this to happen. 
because there should be intermediate steps in AI that get us from the world we know of today to this world in the movie. Yes. One would think. Now, I mean, maybe this guy's just that much of a crazy programmer genius that he got there all by himself. Well, and there is, again, there's a story thing that I think smooths this over a little, which is like his brains are made of a proprietary circuitry technology. Like uh, he, he says he went to gel and the brains look cool. They're like these glowing globular right. uh, ovoids. And, um, you know, it's like a passing line, like a little expositional line, but he's like, oh yeah, I had to go to gel. It gave me more dense circuitry or something. So he was able to bypass limitations that are assumed to be out in the rest of the world by inventing a new proprietary silicon replacement circuitry technology. Some new hardware. Basically. He also implies that some of the software breakthroughs came from having access to a uh, world's worth of search knowledge. Correct. Uh, and uh, that like big data. Right. And that in the process of building a giant search network that he also learned something key about human behavior. The right. Movie uh, somewhat vague about how that works. But, but it, I, I think it's implying uh, that kind of black box deep learning method. This might be the first movie to use big data as a plot point. That's true. Um, and actually, so I mean, good, good job, Alex Garland. I think that's a that's a that's a smart move. Sure, and I'm you know, I it's our job here to be critical and to nitpick. So, but yeah, I mean, the movie does a lot of things right, and I think you know, as an explanation for a you know movie, I mean, I think that's a pretty good one. It's not bad. It's not terrible. So yeah, I mean, and I think a lot also can be explained by you know how isolated it is, how little we see, so we can infer a lot and fill in a lot of the gaps ourselves. But also, the guy is painted as a little crazy and a little paranoid, and I think that that maybe again explains some of the weirdness of his behavior, which is to invent this thing in complete isolation, pick a complete stranger to test it, and uh, all these other weird choices that he makes, including the design of the robots themselves, which, I mean, should we talk about the fact that they're heavily anthropomorphic? Yes, the, the main robot, Ava, is super anthropomorphic, moves just like a human, looks like a human woman. She doesn't have skin everywhere, but she's otherwise very feminine. There's explicit talk of her anatomy. She's uh, functional. Right. Uh, sexually. And, um, you know, so it, I, that raises, I think, a huge question right off the bat for me, which is why are we making robots that look like humans um, when it seems possibly a lot easier and perhaps more useful to make robots that do not look like humans? Especially if you're in the testing stages. Now, again, the movie does actually address this somewhat. I think the programmer character does ask the CEO at some point, at least with regard to the sexual component, like why give her sexual desire? And right. Um, and the answer is something like, I, I'm going to paraphrase badly here because I don't remember exactly what the answer was. I don't but remember it, either. But it was something about giving them, you know, sexual desires, like gives them full motivation and allows them actually to behave, you know, in a thinking conscious way or something. Um, which, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to imitate a human, if that is the goal, then uh, you probably need some of the trappings of humanness. I guess it's not clear why imitating the, a human specifically would be an AI goal other than people have seen it in sci-fi movies. But then again, all these CEOs and heads of companies and programmers did grow up watching Star Trek and stuff. So, you know. If his answer was, I grew up loving sci-fi and I wanted to make a robot I could fuck, I honestly would buy that. But that maybe was but, his answer. I mean, but like that wasn't explicit in the movie, no, I don't think. It would have been funny. And like that, that makes a certain amount of sense to me. But um, otherwise, I would think you'd want to start with something more useful and maybe a little bit easier 
to build something with wheels or something like that. But um, that's a part of the movie is that this is a highly sexualized female seeming object. It's sort of the, it's the inverse of her is what it is because in her yes. it was very confusing why the very very intelligent AI in her didn't construct a body for itself when it so desperately wanted and needed one that instead it picked out a human surrogate which led to a very funny scene but one that sh- should not have been necessary at all. Right. Um and this now we have the opposite because we have an AI that does have a full body and has all these feminine qualities, but it's not clear why she needs to have those. And actually on the issue of intelligence, right? Cause the, the AI in her is extremely smart, right? It's not clear how smart this AI is exactly. Right. And it's, and she knows she's born, I guess, knowing some things like, cause a lot of people's speculation about, you know, how an AI would actually work is that you'd have to train it. Be sort of like a child. Maybe for an actual strong AI, you would have to do it the way you do it for a child. Um, it might even take, probably not as long as it would take a child, but you might have to actually teach it things starting from a blank slate in order to get to a result, especially if you're trying to imitate humanness, right? But she's just born knowing some stuff. She has some stuff preloaded. It's not clear how she got it. And it's not really clear how intelligent she is. She seems pretty smart, but she's not like showing off, like reading physics books in two seconds the way that the AI and her does. So right. it, it's a bit of a mystery, but I mean, I think that's good for the feeling of the movie. Where yeah, so well, much- and she's meant to imitate a human, so they've perhaps slowed her down to human speed. But she's she doesn't seem particularly computer-like in any in any way. She seems mostly to just be a like a person. Uh, the actress, uh, her name's like Alicia. I don't know how I'm going to botch her last name, but it's like Vikander. Or yeah, Vik- Vikander. I think. Vikander. Yeah, I think so. Has like a particular way of moving in the movie that's sort of otherworldly. Yes. But it's hard. It's, it's, it's also accompanied by some really terrific sound design. There's right. some excellent like whooshes and beats in this movie. Right. So she feels kind of off, but is very convincingly human, right? They, again, this is to the movie's credit, like they didn't have any of those old weird like robot tropes exactly they managed to make her sort of off but not in a way you could pinpoint it's mostly the sound i think it's like they she's mostly just moving like deliberately and like almost like with a little bit of poise like like maybe the way a dancer would but right then they have these little noises very subtle little noises that they're always playing whenever she moves and they you know they work they like they make it feel just a little bit inhuman which i think is really cool Okay, so at this point, should we should we spoil the ending now? Okay, well, but yeah. we're going to warn you, the we're, audience. This is the warning. So if you've listened this far and you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't like to have movies spoiled, you should now turn off the podcast. You should go see the movie. And then when you're done, come back and listen to this part and you know see if you agree with us uh, and write us an angry comment if you don't. But if you don't care about having mo- movies spoiled for you or if you've already seen it, then continue listening. Uh, because now we're going to start talking about some of the various uh, late stage twists. So should we talk about there being more than one robot? Sure. That's the small twist that precedes the big twist. Right. So this is the first twist I didn't want to give away because I think this is pretty cool. So there is a character called Kyoko who you meet, who's sort of a servant. And you kind of think this character has got to be a robot, right? And then it turns out not only is she a robot, that is absolutely correct, but also there are several other robots you know, they're all the prototypes, obviously, that this guy's been working on as he's worked up to Ava. Ava's the sixth one or something, right? I feel like it's always the sixth one. I think they were the Nexus 6 in uh, Blade Runner, too. That's when you get your robot right, for whatever reason. That's when Version you, 6. That's always the one that kills its master. <laughs> um, and um, so 
there are a whole bunch of them and um they're all women um they have different skins and uh it basically turns out that he's like kind of using them as uh very complex sex toys <laughs> yeah i mean that's definitely happening in the background and that's uh and he keeps them in the closet in his bedroom and like it's it's presented as if it's like this very damning creepy thing and it really, certainly think looks that- creepy but that um, it was damning because of... I mean, I thought it was more damning because of the... At that point, again, the movie has gotten straight into the the ethical issues of, like, how you treat these, you know, seemingly intelligent and thinking beings. I guess their memory's been deleted a couple times at that point, or, like, some of them are, like, turned off already, or they're, like, inert, right? It felt to me like, you know, almost like finding, like, a bunch of bodies. Yeah, I know? think they're all turned off, right? I think he, like... The implication was he turns them on when he when he wants to use them. Right? Okay, maybe. Either way, I guess it's really going at the same point, which is like, you know, whether he's using them for sex or just for testing, like he's disregarding what appear to be thinking, feeling beings and tr- and treating them like objects, which is, I think, why you're supposed to be disturbed. Right. Well, there's this fundamental, like, sort of discordance in this guy, right? Which is that he's trying to create something that is really alive and is not not merely an object. And he is at the same time treating the subjects of his work, the products of his work as objects. So that's, that's interesting. It's like counter to his own goals in a way. Yeah, he's like the opposite of a, uh, like a proud father figure like you see in some of these movies. There's the scene which I want to talk about for a variety of reasons where he tears up the robot's painting. Right. right. The, the robot does a painting and then we see via security camera him go in the room and like tear up her painting. Right. Which is there for other story reasons, but it's also showing like he's kind of asshole dad, right? Like he's treating them poorly, uh, which I don't know if that's just to make him seem villainous or make a site against him or what that is. But yeah, he's definitely like got a weird stance, abusive stance towards his machines. Well, yeah, he treats them like they're machines, but not like they're people. And yet he seems desperately to want for them to be people. So I don't know what that means exactly, but that's definitely how the movie portrays him, uh, which is interesting. So let's elaborate on that scene where he tears up the painting. Okay. Because in light of the the big twist, the big ending, right, which we'll just go ahead and summarize quickly, which is that it turns out it was all a big setup for this guy, this programmer, played by Donald Gleason, to come down there and be dangled in front of this robot as her escape hatch so that she could interact with another human that isn't her asshole dad inventor who might possibly be her way out of this jail, which again implies that he's trying to trap her there or make her feel trapped on purpose. Right. Because she often asks to leave and he won't let her. And it's, it's a big part of the movie. Yeah. She's kept in this locked room. Yeah. uh, And in fact, during the interviews, uh, they're always interacting through glass. So he wants to test her fundamental humanity as he says he does, but the way that he's devised to do it is actually to see if she is clever enough to devise an escape when given a human uh, as to fodder. Manipulate. Yeah, that she can socially engineer right. to try to get out. Yeah. Which, I mean, I have endless problems with this being the reveal. I mean, It seems me- like, first off, a very foolhardy plan. I mean, this guy... Ostensibly, he created this machine. He's a pretty bright guy. He should be able to think through this plan. This plan's not going to end well if he's as good as he thinks he is. He's really betting against himself here. People that think about AI 
today and in today's world would never ever devise a plan like this <laughs> to test their machine. It's obviously asking for trouble. I mean, now this character's again, maybe he's a little crazy. Maybe he's been alone in that mansion for too long. And maybe all that justifies it if we want to give the movie the best possible interpretation. Right. But if you want to test your robot, why would you test it with an escape? Right. Why would you try to see if it can escape? Aren't there other ways to test ingenuity that don't involve the robot getting out, which is the last thing that you possibly want? Which, again, takes me back to that scene where he goes into her room and tears up her painting, Mm -hmm. which is that the way that she eventually escapes is she stabs him. Like, they have a little bit of a wrestling match, and it seems like he's going to overpower her because she doesn't seem, like, too strong. But she does outsmart him. She outsmarts him because she, you know, whispers in the ear of one of the other robots and gets that robot on her side. That robot then creates a distraction long enough for her to, to stab him to death. Yeah, well, that robot stabs him and then she stabs him again. Oh, yeah, maybe he gets stabbed first by the other robot. By Kyoko. The point is, the, the key is that she, she murders him. I mean, that's how you get out. And then you take his key card and then you can operate every door in the place. Yes. So... When he comes into her room, when he works on her, when he tears up her painting, she has a million much simpler opportunities, if she's as ingenious as she seems, to escape. Like She doesn't really need the programmer. She could just hit him over the head with a blunt object. He doesn't seem exactly that careful. Yeah. The programmer in the story is used to reprogram the doors so that she can get out of her little cage. But yeah, anytime he goes in the cage, uh, he's he's broken his own security and she could easily uh, uh, kill him. Right. It's a, I guess what, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say, which is that there's yeah. a huge gaping security flaw, which is that he goes re- regularly <laughs> well, into the room where she is. Large corporations having big gaping security flaws is realistic, so... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, she doesn't need help from the programmer, technically. No, He's... the programmer is just useless, actually. But let's talk about the programmer cutting himself. Yeah. That scene was weird. Yes. That seemed like it was there for the trailer and it had no actual meaning at all. Well, the implication is he thinks maybe he's a robot. Yeah. But really, there's no reason why he would think he's a robot. The audience is thinking maybe he's a robot, so the movie does that. But I feel like that's not motivated by the character. It didn't make any sense. Well, also, if he really thought he was a robot... You just don't need that much blood. He could make a smaller cut. Much smaller. Instead of, like, slitting his whole wrist, basically, and pouring blood, which, I mean, you gotta think that the guy was gonna nearly bleed out from the size of the cut that he made. Yeah, there's no infirmary down there. Uh, It's a trailer scene. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why it's in the movie. Now, in, in hindsight, again, if I give the movie the best possible interpretation, you can maybe justify it because the... The CEO is watching on a security camera while this is happening. And we know that because he mentions it the next morning. We also know that the programmer, in fact, knows he was being watched, right? Has already executed his plan ahead of time. So it's possible that Donald Gleason's character was playing a very high level game of some sort where he wanted to look insane for the security camera in order to throw the other character off balance to make himself look weak. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a stretch as an explanation. Yeah, I, I'm finding that to be a stretch. Okay, so you don't buy it. Yeah. No. I, and actually, I, I feel like that's maybe the worst scene in the movie. Like, because it's everything else I'm talking about, like, doesn't change the fact that it's a good movie. It's a good thought experiment. It's good, like, rich sci-fi. It's better sci-fi than it is a thriller, personally, I think. I mean, 
the thriller plot at the end of the day doesn't make a ton of sense. And when I was watching it, I wasn't that tense because it wasn't clear to me that it was bad if the robot got out. So since even though that was kind of what the movie was teasing and I knew what to worry about, I was like, well, all right, I want the robot out. I mean, what's so bad about that? Why are we keeping this robot cooped up in the first place? I mean, well, I mean, her last act before she leaves is to like coldly lock uh, Donald Gleason like in that room in, to in starve a room to, to death. Starve to death, which is yeah, which that at that moment they they make that decision in the movie, and it and it puts her for the first time in the movie really on the side of of wrong, I think, uh, moral wrong, because like. The movie kind of goes to great lengths to make you not like the CEO. So you kind of forgive her for killing her maker after he's treated her so badly and kept her trapped at home. Like, uh, you know, you wouldn't tolerate that for uh, a real child, for example, uh, their parent uh, locking them up. Right. If you accept that she's a little bit more than a machine and that she has feelings and emotions. Yeah. yeah. So like that, I think, is like very easy to interpret as justified. But then the very last thing in the movie is the question of, well, were her feelings for Donald Gleason real or were they uh, all part of a scam? And of course, you know, like any good thriller, it hints at the possibility it could be both. But then they decide, which I think is like, they're uh, they're veering away from the cliche and I, ex- I respect that. They decide that she should be cold toward him and, and leave him there to die. Maybe that's just a calculation on her part that he knows that she's a robot and that she's property and that she can never really be free if he's around in the world. Maybe it's, you know, because she's evil and she's going to go exterminate us all. They don't tell you, but... um, Right, she might have self-preservation reasons for locking him in there. But it's still pretty cold, especially since he's pretty much on her side at that point. And she exploits his trust, which is interesting. Like, the last thing she says to him is like, you stay there. I mean, if a robot told me that, I'd be like, fuck no, I'm going with you. (laughs) Right? Like... I'm just not as trusting an individual, I suppose, as that character that Donald Gleason plays. But uh, right, I would not have just like hung out in the in the room and waited for her to close the door on me. But I kind of bought that 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 his character would. He was sort of he was at that point with her. He had bought in completely. So it's I don't know. It was an interesting ending, I thought. But it does perhaps hint at a lack of morality in these uh, robots. Right. I, it makes you a little bit concerned that if she's capable of doing that and, you know, a human might do that for self-preservation reasons. If you were kept as a slave somewhere and you had to escape and somebody helped you to escape, but you still felt that they couldn't come with you because they would uh, somehow cause you to get caught again or something, then a human might make that choice. But a human would, you know, feel bad about it or something. Uh, would show some emotion, and she just seems to be very cold and calculating. And I think right. that that implies that she's going to be capable of great evil as she enters the rest of the world. Uh, whether or not she necessarily is going to do great evil, I think, is unclear. Well, another thing to point out maybe now is that her upbringing is basically that of a human psychopath, right? I mean, like... She was abused and locked in a... She was abused and cage. locked in a cage by uh, an overbearing father who who thought himself a god. I mean, this, this girl didn't have a great childhood. If we're looking at the prediction of is she going to fit in in humanity, maybe not. But I, I, I like the way this movie handles that because as dark as that is, it doesn't feel inevitable. It feels like the result of these particular circumstances. You know, if you raise a robot bad, it's going to be a bad robot. It's like a dog or a person. 
Right, and it, I think it also raises the issue, which, again, the characters should be aware of, that a artificial intelligence is potentially going to be extremely persuasive and hard to contain. I mean, whether it ultimately wants to do you uh, good or do you ill, uh, trying to keep an AI in a box is going to be nearly impossible once they reach a certain intelligence level. I think this movie shows that, or at least shows one way that could go. Now, it's honestly, at the end of the day, it's less due to the AI's ingenuity and more due to the, the character of the CEO just being stupid, like just playing with fire, just saying like... Yeah, well, being sadistic, maybe. I, I mean, well, stupid no, but he's too, trying to get but... her to try to escape. Right. He like engages... He's goading her. ...in a cat and mouse game with her where like he sneaks into the room to plan a camera because he knows they're plotting against him because he expects them to be plotting against him right because he right. set them up to plot against him on purpose but like, really what we're talking about here is this, this is a plausibility issue it's just like it's they're they're they want another twist so they came up with a twist and it just it's getting implausible it's like too many twists you know if he's crazy and paranoid that's one thing but if then he's also like he knew that when this guy got here that she was going to try to escape and, and that's what he, he wanted knew that the guy like that's he he knows too much he's planned too far ahead and it's it's the plausibility of it is 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 lacking not to mention it's one of those tests where she proves that she's capable of thinking intelligently and that she's sufficiently human by engineering her own escape and at the point that she right. proves that then she's escaped now Maybe this guy wanted to die. I mean, there are a couple lines in the movie where he talks about, you should feel sorry for us because we're going to be replaced. And there is that moment where he's been stabbed with the knife and he says something really weird like, whoa, far out or something before he dies. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe the implication is that he kind of willed this to happen, like that he expected like her this to is the him. only way that she can impress him is like by killing him maybe maybe the movie's saying that and that's kind of interesting but it's pretty buried if that's what it is again i keep coming up with these interpretations and i don't know if they were intended i guess the fact that they're they're possible which i think yeah. gives you an idea that this is better uh than most and uh yeah i mean like this movie had its share of uh silly moments where they hand waved some technology or something but for the most part this is a very classic sci-fi thriller that talks a lot about ideas and then um and then has people chasing each other around the house for a little while and it's worth watching i think despite its flaws actually oh it's absolutely worth watching again none of these criticisms should dissuade you from liking the movie all right well let's wrap it up there yeah uh thanks for listening to our review yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with um, uh, a really cool guest. So come and check that out. Send us an email or uh, tweet at us, RTF underscore podcast on the Twitters. Right. All right. Thanks for listening. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.